Hey, this is Ryan Miller. I'm the lead pastor of Local City Church. Welcome to our podcast. I hope this talk encourages you, inspires you, and reminds you that there is always hope. That this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Thank you for joining us today. Enjoy the message. Hey guys, man, I'm super excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, wow, this is going to be a good one. Um, uh, when Ryan, your pastor, talked to me and said, hey, we're doing this collection of talks on uh, the Apostles' Creed, and I would love for you to come and talk a little bit about the resurrection. I was like, oh, the resurrection. So uh, what an incredible topic to gather around this morning. But before we do any of that, I just want to give you just a little bit of backstory. Pastor Ryan did a great job already of kind of introducing me. But uh, yeah, so I have been married now for almost 16 years. This is my wife, Rachel, right there. Um, I have two children. I have a 12-year-old son who's almost as tall as me, which is crazy. And his thing right now is he likes to work out. And he's like, Dad, he's like, yeah, Seneca, all right. He's like, Dad we are going to go work out every day at 5.30, Monday through Friday. And like, look, I'm not a workout every day kind of guy. Um, but he's been like holding me to it. And uh, I love him, super proud of how he's growing. I have an eight-year-old daughter named Eliza who's here today. And even though she's eight, she identifies as Gen Z, okay? So, so as you're talking to her, uh, if you have any Gen Z phrases to test out on her, she's pretty good with those. But um, I've been in ministry, just like uh, Pastor Ryan said, for, gosh, almost uh, 16 years now and um, have gotten to know Ryan super well through many, many seasons of ministry. And um, the first thing I remember about Ryan meeting him was his laugh. And oh, see, there it is. Over the last like decade plus, I've got like a really good impression of his laugh. <laughs> It's a, little, it's a little rusty, but it's pretty good. But uh, other than that, I think what I've, what I've come to admire the most about Pastor Ryan is that he is so committed, bold, courageous, and faithful. And so give it up for Pastor Ryan and Adrian, who started this church. And I remember, uh, specific, I just want to tell this quick story, sorry, before we get started. I remember a specific story when COVID hit, um, and you guys were about a year in, I think, or maybe less, I can't, six months, gosh, even less, six months in, and um, just seeing his purpose, he had a plan, he was so passionate, and I got to help a little bit with church online for him, and uh, I just remember um, just being so amazed by his consistency and, and, and faithfulness through it. He was so passionate about you guys, about the Word of God, and, and man, now here you guys are. You weathered the storm out of COVID, which I think is amazing. But, um, but yeah, so excited to talk about resurrection today because we've kept up for so long and he's always telling me how the church is doing and then he, he popped the question, do you want to come speak? And I was like, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, this is the third week of talking about the Apostles' Creed. So what I want to do is I just want to uh, talk through what we've learned so far and then pick it up today and then we'll pray. Does that sound good? Yes. All right, let's do it. So the Apostles' Creed, I'm going to read it. And, uh, and I'm going to start from the beginning, and then I'm going to stop where we're going to learn today. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. And on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. Resurrection is a really big deal. So let's pray. God, thank you so much that you rose again, God. 
that resurrection is your story. Death was not the final word, but God, you proved to us that even death can be overcome by the power of your Holy Spirit working in you and now working in us. So God, we invite your Holy Spirit now to come. These are just words unless your Holy Spirit gives them life. So God, take what's natural, make it supernatural. Thank you, God, that you have personal relationship with every soul in this room. And so you have the ability to speak as I'm speaking. Illuminate the truth of who you are today, and that's it. There would be no clever speeches. There would be no spin. It's your words. Your words, which are life. What a privilege and honor to gather and talk about you and let your spirit illuminate who you are for us. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, let's get right into it. So resurrection, why is resurrection such a big deal? There's so much to talk about, but I don't want to get ahead of myself. I don't want to assume anything, because when you assume, what happens? Google it, Google it. Um, So I don't want to assume anything, all right? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with some baseline facts about the resurrection. Let's start with this, because I don't know where you are with your faith journey, but I want you to know that there is a lot of evidence that supports a resurrected Messiah named Jesus. Okay, so let's start with what's not actually even in the Bible, okay? There's this guy named Flavius Josephus, which is a just an awful name, Um, but I love saying it, so I'm going to say it several times and enjoy it. Flavius Josephus, uh, he was a Jewish historian that lived about the same time, maybe 40, 50 years after Jesus, he wrote a record. Um, This is in 93 AD, talking about the undeniable impact of this guy named Jesus. And in that, he talked about Jesus' disciples. He had many followers who who, who saw great things and made an undeniable cultural impact, Uh, Josephus then records that uh, Jesus was tested in a trial by Pontius Pilate, that he actually died. And even though Flavius Josephus was not a believer, he did write in his record that many, many, many people insist that Jesus rose again. So we know from somebody who's not even a believer that Jesus came, he made a difference, He died, and his followers who knew him closest insist that he rose again. So let's talk about those followers, okay? We've got the four accounts in the gospel. Each one lays out the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So we've got four different perspectives, points of view, that all suggest the exact same thing, that Jesus came, he died, and he rose again. But this is the one that I love. There's a moment in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, where Paul talks about a gathering after Jesus resurrected, where there was 500 people in the same place at once that saw Jesus alive again. 500. So you've got Flavius Josephus on one hand, all right? You've got his 500 people who saw him resurrected and alive after his death. So we've got that evidence, but here's the thing I really want to zero in on. I want us to reflect on for a second, Okay. Why do we know that Jesus' followers weren't lying, making the whole thing up? So you trace a lot of these apostles, disciples, the people who are with Jesus, really in it with him, and then carrying on building the early church after Jesus' death and resurrection. They all, most of them anyway, died for this cause. They were martyrs. They gave all they had for this cause. Why would they do that? Why would you die for a lie? Why would you die for a lie? Would you, I mean, maybe to secure a fortune for your family? But there was none of that. 
There was no benefit other than they had nothing to lose, they had nothing to gain, but they had this truth that was so deep in their bones that they knew more than they knew anything else that they were willing to give up their lives for this cause. That to me is the best evidence we have that Jesus did indeed rise again. And he proved to his followers that death is not the end. But ultimately, it's still a belief. Listen, we can't have 100% physical evidence proof that Jesus rose again. That's where faith comes in. And so the first thing I want to talk about is that resurrection is the belief that saves us. And the Bible talks about this. Romans 10.9 says, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Everybody say, you will be saved. A little bit louder. You will be saved. Let's go. All right, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. I want you to imagine a world that is presented to us when we are born from the ground up, and it has limitations, and it has rules, and we spend our lives learning those limitations and rules and taking them as fact, and that becomes our paradigm. But then, when we are born again, God invites us to see the world from the top down, not from the ground up. He invites us on his shoulders to say, hey, I actually created all of this, which means I have all authority. I can make the rules. I can break the rules if I want to. And this is what the proof of resurrection is. This is what resurrection is saying, that even when you wake up in the morning and you see a hopeless world and you have all your problems, you have all your things in life you're thinking about, and you know how it goes when you wake up in the morning and like it just comes like flooding at you and you're like, oh, I got to take care of this. I got to do that. I don't know how this is going to go. I have zero control over this. Um, and all of it just comes crushing in. And your spirit, even before you have a chance to have your coffee, is beginning to be crushed. That's where Jesus says, hey, it's the belief that there is a power greater than that that actually saves us. I want to take us in a time machine, okay, back to... Uh, 2010, all right, August 5th, 2010. Love the Way You Lie by Rihanna and Eminem is number one on the billboards. You guys know that song? It's a little old. Um, all right, uh, the, the Samsung Galaxy S is just released. It's cutting edge. Um, Starbucks has just announced that they're going to be getting free Wi-Fi to their customers. It's cutting edge, all right? But in another part of the world, 33 guys are trapped 2,400 feet underground. You guys remember the Chilean miners? Remember this story? I want to tell a little bit of this story because this is a wild story. These guys are trapped 2,400 feet. How many of you guys know how deep that is? That's two Empire State Buildings deep. That they are caught underneath rocks and rubble, just 33 guys in the dark, by themselves for 17 days. No contact with the world above. It's just rocks, rubble, darkness, hopelessness, imminent death. Okay, so for 17 days, everybody above thinks they're already dead. They're like, the families are mourning. It's like, it's over. I'm so sorry, this was a tragedy. Meanwhile, below, the 33 of these guys escape to an emergency refuge, and they survive on two teaspoons of tuna fish, uh, which is gross, I hate tuna fish, uh, a little bit of high-protein milk, a little sip, a little sippy sip of milk, and then half of a muffin, like, once every two days. That's what their rations are. And they're doing this for 17 days. I just want us to put ourselves in their shoes for a second and just imagine the hopelessness, the feeling of 2,400 feet of death just over top of you. No connection to any safety, any protection, any help. It's just you down there. 
And for 17 days, that's how they lived. That's how they woke up every single morning. But then some people who refused to give up drilled down into that emergency refuge, found out that they were still alive, all 33 of these guys, and said, hey, we're going to get you out of there. But guess what? It's going to take four months. Four more months of waking up in the dark, eating tuna fish and protein milk and muffins. I can't imagine the weight of depression and discouragement that must have been on those guys. And actually, um, they, they told us, uh, you know, as they're communicating, they're like, oh, five of these guys have already succumbed to depression. They're just curled up in the corner of the cave doing nothing, laying on the ground because they're so discouraged. They have so accepted that death is the end for them. So they have all these people come in from like NASA, from some people who were on a submarine, some people who survived a crash in the Andes Mountains, and everybody's just kind of like piping in all the way down to this hole like, hey, you guys are going to make it. Don't give up. You can do it. And as much as that encouragement was nice, every day you wake up in the dark with 2,400 feet of rubble And this is what the world is to you. This is your reality. No matter what anybody says about hope and you'll get out of there and you can make it, it's like, dude, I'm just in here, man, and I can't do anything. And the hopelessness must have been so heavy. So it's it's, it's only two months later, in October, right? In August, they were buried. In October, they finally dig a hole deep enough for somebody to come out. But wait a second, they don't want it to crumble again, so they have to mesh line the entire 2,400 feet, waiting, waiting, waiting. And finally, on October 12th, the first man makes the half-hour journey up out of that 2,400-foot shaft. And in 10 hours, all 33 of these guys survived. Come on, dude. Imagine two months of of thinking, I'm never going to see the sun again. And and when they watch these guys get out of the hole, they're just reduced to tears, just weeping, seeing the sun that they thought they would never see again. This is the hope that Jesus gives us. That's why we respond to a story like this, because we see our own version of being trapped underground. We see our own darkness. We see our own hopelessness. And we think, man, this is the reality. You know, like all this stuff they talk about at church, all the stuff that's in my Bible, all the stuff my friends are encouraging me with is nice. But the reality I wake up to every single morning is darkness, hopelessness, pressure, anxiety, fear. And what we know, because we believe in a God who rose from the dead and defeated death, is that resurrection is actually our story. Death is no longer our story. And I'm telling you guys, Jesus was trying so hard to teach his disciples this truth. I want to talk about John 11, the story of Lazarus, which some of you might be familiar with. I'm going to go through it and and give you a little bit of commentary showing how Jesus is dropping these bombs all throughout, trying to get people to understand, hey, there is a better way. So let's read John 11. We're going to read John 11, starting with verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters Mary and Martha. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, well, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God, so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. I want us to recognize Jesus' words. He says Lazarus' sickness won't end in death. Does this mean that death won't be maybe like, like a part of it? He doesn't say that. But he says it won't end in death. Everybody say it won't end in death. That's going to be important. So, Although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And and by the way, in those next two days, Lazarus dies. 
So he waited just long enough for Lazarus to die. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? He says to his disciples, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. I want you to notice his words. He's really trying to underline how much he does not care about Lazarus's death. Why does he not care that Lazarus died? Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but now I will go and wake him up. And the disciples said, God, if he's sleeping, then he'll soon get better. He says, no, 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 you guys don't get it. Uh, Lazarus is, is dead, D-E-D, dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there. For now, you will really believe. Man, Jesus is spicy here. He's like, yeah, Lazarus died, and I'm glad he died, because I'm going to show you guys something. They're like, geez, geez, us. Okay, um, so Thomas, nicknamed the twin, uh, said to his fellow disciples, this is hilarious, because this is just a little temperature of like, what it was like in disciple land. He's like, hey, guys, let's go. Let's go and die with Jesus. What? I don't know why he thinks they're going to die, but he assumes Jesus is going to die, they're going to die with him, and that death is the end. Already Jesus has tried to emphasize twice, death will not be the end. And they're like, ah, but we're going to die, right? He's like, no! So he goes, he goes and, he, and he walks to Bethany, and he's told that Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. Gross, he smells. Martha says to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, listen to this, even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So at this point, Martha is like Jesus' star student. She like kind of gets it, but Jesus is trying to tell her, no, 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 it's not just that God will give me whatever I ask, it's that he'll give you what you ask according to his will if you'll only believe. Believe, believe that resurrection isn't just for heaven. Resurrection is right here on earth. It's for us right now. But they still don't get it. But Jesus is trying. He says, your brother will rise again. Yes, yes, Martha says. Yeah, I know. He will rise when everybody else rises at the last day. No, it's not just for heaven. It's right now. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Everybody say never, ever. When Jesus says never, ever, it's like important, okay? He doesn't, he doesn't talk like that all the time. He's saying never, ever die, you guys. He'll never, ever die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she says. I've always believed you're the Messiah, Son of God, the one who has come into the world from God. Then she returned to Mary, and it's all, the whole thing, all over again with Mary. Mary runs, falls at his feet, says, Lord, if only you'd been with me, my brother would, be, would not have died. And Jesus sees her weeping, sees everybody wailing, and he gets angry. I have a question for you guys. Why did Jesus get angry? On first read, it might be like, oh, he's mad because they're like mourning and that's annoying or something like that. But I don't think that's what's happening because what he says next is, uh, where, uh, where did you put him? And they say, God, uh, come and see. And Jesus weeps. This is the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. But it packs a really powerful punch because we've seen two emotions from Jesus here. We've seen him get angry. We don't understand why. And now we're see him, we see him weeping. We're like, what? what? Is Jesus like just emotionally all over the place? Like, what's going on here, Jesus? Get your emotions together, man. I think both of these emotions that Jesus chooses to show point to the same thing. Here's why Jesus was angry. Here's why Jesus was crying. Jesus sees a world that his father created, a world that his father created from the top down. And he sees these people trapped in this mine of disbelief, of unbelief, of thinking that hopelessness and darkness and death is the final word. And he's angry about it, 
because he wants to drill, drill, drill to 2,400 feet down and show them, no, 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 there is a better way. There is a rescuer. There is a hope. And it is not just for me. It is for all of you. This is why he's angry. This is why he's weeping. They say, oh, see how much uh, he loved Lazarus. But some said, this guy healed a blind man. Couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Oh, Jesus is still angry. So he arrives at the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus tells them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he's been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Death is the most influential thing in this scenario for everybody. Oh man, he's dead, it smells, gross. It's, death is so impressive to all these people. Jesus is like, I don't care how he smells. Roll the stone away. And so they do. Didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe? They rolled the stone. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud for the sake of all these people standing here. So they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. That's bold. How many of you guys would feel comfortable yelling at a grave of a guy who died four days ago? Come on out. Dude, talk about like awkward, man. And the dead man came out. His hands and feet were bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth, full on Brendan Fraser the mummy. And Jesus says, unwrap him and let him go. Boom. Jesus is like, do you get it now? I've been trying to drop hints this whole time. Resurrection is for now. Jesus said, I came to give us life to the full. Everybody say life to the full. Life to the full. That means he does not just raise a dead body. He can raise a dead room. He can raise a dead faith, a dead mind, a dead dream, a dead marriage. He can raise it all. It's for us right now. This is the power of resurrection, not just a fable of something that happened years ago, something that we can actually hold on to today. This is the power of resurrection. This is what it's all about. So I have a quick story to tell you. Uh, my team and I recently went to Nicaragua. Uh, we have a children's team that teaches uh, children how to learn about God. And so our method is three things, fun, friends, and learning, okay? And I don't know if you know anything about Nicaragua. I know I didn't. But reading up on it when we got there, dude, the political system is wild. I mean, it deserves like a Netflix miniseries. This guy took the government from being basically a democracy, a lot like what we see in America, hijacked it and turned it into a dictatorship over the course of 20 years. And man, the people are struggling, they're in poverty, they're hurting, they're stoic, they're serious, they're really weighed down. And we come in there being like, let's teach these guys about fun. And so we go, we go into this leadership training with about 50 Nicaraguan pastors all in one room, okay? I don't know if you can see, uh, yeah, yeah, look, look at that guy right there. That was pretty much the face on everybody, like pure gargoyles in there, man. Just stone-faced, not there to have fun, really just concerned about all the things that are going wrong in Nicaragua. How are they going to keep their churches going? Arms folded, just tell me what you got to tell me. Let me get on out of here. And so my friend Matt, who works with me, he, he drew the short straw. He had to talk to everybody about fun, okay? <laughs> So he got up there, and he's like, listen, the first fruit of the Spirit that we are born with is joy. You know, as kids, we have joy. And then we grow up, we get responsibility and all the pressures of life, and the, the joy gets, like, sapped out of us, right? Everyone's just, like, stone-faced. I'm like, wow, man, this is really working. This is great, man. This is really going over awesome. But we had a plan, and we were going to stick to it. And so the plan, 
the plan was we were going to play a game with, with these pastors, all right? So we spent like 50 cents, got some solo cups, and we did a little action where you go the upside down solo cup, you flip it, and you try to get it right up on the right end. And we said, listen, all you pastors are going to race to see how many of you guys can flip these up because we need a little fun in here. I'm telling you, that game cost 50 cents, and uh, it proved to me the power of resurrection because in 20 minutes, that room was like, ah, up on their feet. Everybody's cheering. Everybody's yelling, screaming, making up their own games. This one guy said something in Spanish. I'm like, what did you say? And the translator is like, he just said, I feel like a kid again. And I'm like, come on, that's what resurrection is supposed to be. Guys, Jesus is alive. The church should be alive. Am I right? So everywhere we go, we should be bringing hope. We should be bringing life. We should be livening up rooms, not as a hype machine, but because of what we believe, what we truly believe, that belief that saved us, that belief that isn't just for heaven, but it's for now, it's for here. We've got to carry that like we believe it. And when we do, we will realize, okay, number one, that resurrection is the belief that saves us. Number two, that resurrection doesn't just save us to heaven, but it saves us right here on earth. And number three, that death no longer has the final word. Resurrection has replaced death as the final word. You know, when Jesus actually resurrected, when he died, was risen again in three days, the people who were close to him didn't even recognize him. Mary thought he was a gardener. Uh, there was a couple in Emmaus that uh, thought that he was just a stranger. They were looking right at his face and they didn't even realize they were talking about him to him because death had the final word. And there's no way Jesus resurrected, right? Even Thomas, famous story, he needed to feel the scars before he could actually accept and believe that Jesus had indeed risen from the dead. But guys, we have got to start to see resurrection the way that Jesus saw resurrection when he went to visit Lazarus. To say, you know what? I'm glad it happened. Like, that's, that's bold. I'm glad that happened. You know why? Because now I get to demonstrate what resurrection power actually looks like. Yeah. It's resurrection power that saved those Chilean miners, that, that, that touched those Nicaraguan pastors. Yeah. And last year when my daughter Eliza was in the emergency room with an, with, with an emergency uh, asthma attack, and now she doesn't even have to take her medication. That's resurrection in my life. You know what I'm saying? My mom who was divorced, who had no direction, who didn't know what she was going to do with her life. Now she's going for a PhD, loves her job, has full of purpose. That's resurrection in my life. And Rachel and I, I think it was like 12 years now, we were at our lowest point in marriage. Like we, it didn't even feel like a, a bond anymore. It wasn't even a marriage. It was just two individuals. We weren't talking. We weren't enjoying one another. We weren't living life together. And there was a certain conversation we had where I was like, oh my gosh, is this really happening? Is, is my marriage falling apart? And guys, I kid you not, it was at this moment when God said, I want you to go into ministry. I'm like, what? God, you see what's happening. I am not qualified to go into ministry. I did not earn that. I do not deserve that. God says, that's right. You've got the right idea. But if you and Rachel will gather around me and behold my resurrection power, look at it, understand it, pick it up and embrace it. I will heal your marriage. And guys, I'm telling you, counseling, therapy, books, they're all great. But I can't point to those for what heal our marriage. I can point to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ as what healed our marriage all those years ago. That is the power of resurrection that gives me hope. 
But it's so easily forgotten when we wake up and we see nothing but rubble and rocks and darkness. So here's how I want to close today. I want to ask you, what is dead in your life that you don't believe can come back? What is hopeless in your life that you have not applied the resurrection power of Jesus Christ to? Yes, if you believe that he died and rose again, you have a place secured in heaven. But what about here and now? What about how you can demonstrate his resurrection power through your every day? Would you let me pray for you? Father God, I know your Holy Spirit works through your words, through your truth. And every time we read it, every time we speak it, your spirit shows who you are. Show us right now. Show us those those ways that we are dead, those areas where death has the final word. Help us to replace it with your resurrection truth and who you are, God. We would never be the same, but Father, we would be a people who really carry hope. Not hype, hope. Real hope that comes from a real Savior who really rose again. May we walk out of this room holding on to that truth, applying it not just to our heavenly existence, but to our earthly existence here. May we bring heaven to earth as we exercise our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us on the Local City Podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just heard and allow it to go deeply into your heart. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Local City Church. Your generosity makes this podcast possible and creates life change for so many people. You can be a part of spreading this message by going to localcity.church give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this message with your family and friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you. Have a great day.